0: Welcome back to Real Pod Wednesdays. Dan Hope joined, as always, by Colin Haas-Hill. Uh, rolling toward the end of January here as we continue into an offseason of Ohio State football. And uh, going to talk today, uh, We, you know, we last week we kind of really started diving in to uh, the 2021 roster and looking ahead to Ohio State season, and we're going to uh, continue to do that again today. We're going to uh, look a little bit at the depth chart. kind of go over the depth chart projection that I released on 11 Warriors last week and kind of discuss, you know, some of the the position battles and and different things that could shake that up uh, as we go through uh, this off season of 2021 and, you know, move toward a season that will happen next fall. But I wanted to start out by kind of discussing our takeaways from Ryan Day's press conference on Friday, which was the first time that he had spoken with the media uh, since immediately after the national championship game. So it was our first opportunity to ask him some questions about, you know, the offseason and you know different things uh, that you know could come up here uh, as winter workouts get set to start here uh, in about a week from now. And uh, the big revelation from Friday, uh, not a huge surprise, one that uh, I think you know people saw coming but that being that uh, co-defensive coordinator Greg Madison is retiring from Ohio State's coaching staff after two years. And now, of course, uh, the big question being uh, who will replace him? And we don't uh, know exactly who that will be yet. Ryan Day says that, quote, all options are on the table. It kind of feels, though, the early indications here, though, Kind of feel like this probably isn't going to be the big splashy hire that maybe some Ohio State fans want it to be.
1: Yeah, I think that's I think that's the case. You know, I think it's worth diving back in for a quick second, though, on on what Greg Madison was the program, because it was an interesting hire in the first place that he brought him and Al Washington from Michigan to Ohio State. And I think out Washington you you obviously saw the connection with Ryan Day, but it just felt like Greg Madison was such a quote unquote Michigan man that it was weird initially to see him leave Ann Arbor and go to Columbus. Um, and I think you know the two years that he was there, you know it felt it felt like he had an undeniable positive impact. I mean, there were certainly times where I had no idea what he was doing <laughs> because it's not like he was a mainstay as a um, on the on the recruiting sphere. And then you look at him as a position coach, it was largely just the Sam linebackers. But if you just want to look at what he did, I would just look at the run defense and the Sam linebacker spots. And if you're, you know, I think that there's some question for both of us of like, what else was he involved in? But if you just look specifically at those two things, one, the run defense was awesome both seasons. And it was completely fixed in, in 2019 after the 2018 debacle. And then 2020, the front seven, I thought, was, was probably the strength of the defense. Well, definitely the strength of the defense. And if you look at the Sam linebacker spot in 2019, you had P. Warner there. 2020, you have, you know, Baron Browning, he playing his best season, then Justin Hilliard having a late, late career breakout. So I just think, you know, I look back on the Greg Madison tenure and it's, you know, it'll be one of those things that I think people might forget about but he certainly made his impact in his two years that that he had.
0: Yeah, I mean, I had said before that I really wasn't overly certain what his role was at at Ohio State, and I think it's still kind of true as he finishes his time here. But, you know, I think you know, the sense you get when you hear people talk about Greg Madison is, I think for one, I think he was a veteran presence in the room because obviously Ryan Day, you know, he's never been a head coach before he came to Ohio state and then you've got a lot of young coaches. I mean, guys like Al Washington and and Matt Barnes and, and Corey Dennis and, you know, Brian Hartline. These are all guys who are young coaches who haven't been in the business all that long. So I think having a guy like Greg Madison with his four decades of coaching experience, I think that was the biggest reason why he was hired in the first place was to kind of be a veteran mentor, uh, you know, for the staff. And then I think, you know, a lot of what he did really was in terms of game planning and in terms of scheme uh, in defense. You know, he wasn't – you know, he did did work the Sam linebackers, and like you said, I think if you look at what Pete Werner, Justin Hilliard, Baron Browning did at that spot, you know, I think that would tell you that he was successful in that capacity. I think he was absolutely more involved in run defense than he was in pass defense, and run defense was the strength of Ohio State's defense this past year. So I think he absolutely uh, deserves credit for that. But I think, you know, a lot of what he did was really – in, you know, the game planning elements. It wasn't so much, it definitely was not in recruiting and it wasn't even so much in position coaching. It was really a a lot of behind the scenes uh, kind of stuff in terms of, you know, how Ohio State ran its defense. And I think that's the big question that I have now as you look to replace him, because we know there's very real questions about Kerry Combs as a defensive coordinator. And if you don't bring in someone else who has a, a lot of, You know, experience. And, you know, if you don't bring in a coordinator or somebody who brings a lot of scheme uh, background for, you know, his coaching staff, I think that puts even more onto Kerry Combs' plate in terms of he has to be the guy that is going to lead the defensive game planning, lead the defensive play calling, and, you know, make the defensive scheme work in a way that it did not work last year. And, you know, the feeling that I get is that I think Ryan day is confident in Kerry Combs. I don't think Ryan day particularly wants to rock the boat here with this hire, which again, I'm not sure that's what Ohio state fans want to hear, but I, that's the impression I get is that I think, you know, he trusts Kerry Combs. He trusts Larry Johnson and Al Washington and Matt Barnes, that they're going to be able to, you know, get things turned around and whoever he brings in, to, to replace Greg Madison isn't necessarily going to be to replace Greg Madison in terms of responsibility, but could be more so in terms of who he feels best complements those other coaches on the staff.
1: Yeah. They're in a really interesting spot right now So I think this is a really important hire. I mean, one you like, like, like Ryan day said, he could go a lot of ways. Like you could just bring in a guy who is Greg Madison is an older coach, You know, maybe you don't in in this position. The interesting thing about this position to me is you don't necessarily need a high-level recruiter. Like you have Larry Johnson on the defensive line, you have Al Washington at linebackers, you have Kerry Combs in the secondary. Like those three guys to me at all three levels are really high-level recruiters. And and you know, you have Matt Barnes as well, and whoever this new hire is. I don't think that you necessarily need this new guy to be a to be a great recruiter. So I think the the part of you know, the, the the part that he can probably help the most is in that game planning aspect that you said, um, if he's if he's somewhat a defensive coordinator or if they want to shift the staff around at all. And, you know, I think we, it probably should be mentioned, like Letterman Rowe on what was it, Tuesday yep. that they reported that, you know,
0: Parker Fleming, who's what's his official title, Dan? He's a quality control coach and he works primarily with special teams.
1: Yeah, so they reported that you know he's an option uh, if, if if they want to promote from inside, and you know then you essentially have Kerry Combs be the defensive coordinator. I think that's certainly one option you can go. Um, the interesting part to me is if they decide to go that way. Like to me, this is like the ultimate prove it year. A prove it years. I mean. Kerry Combs is coming off a 2020 season that nobody would say it was a success defensively. Um, and if they were to go in an opposite direction where there's no co-defensive coordinator tag, um, it's, it, this is the year for Kerry Combs. And, and there's, there's no way to hide that is if, if, if Ohio State's defense is really good, congratulations, Kerry Combs, you did a great job. And if it's not great again, um, I think that, that they would have to certainly look at the, the coaching side there. But the other option is, know if they want to go with that veteran presence I I just think Greg Madison did a solid enough job I think that if you wanted to bring in someone like him again I I wouldn't see that as a big problem I don't necessarily know who that guy is that you would go in and and bring in from the outside but to to be honest I think that this staff fit together pretty well outside of the fact that the past defense in 2020 was an abomination
0: yeah I mean to me just from the outside looking in I feel like Ohio state should be looking for another veteran coach and particularly somebody who is a scheme expert, who is a game planning expert who can help Kerry Combs in that regard, just because of the fact that Kerry Combs has only been a coordinator for one year and the first year uh, results were not great. So that's what would be my read on it from the outside. You know, that said I trust that Ryan day knows more about making a coaching hire than I do. I, I trust that Ryan day knows more about the dynamics of the coaching staff than I do. So if, if that's the route he decides to go, you know, I, I, I trust that he knows what he's doing, but I do think that it, it, you know, it, it, it puts you in a position where if the defense doesn't get better in, in 2021, I mean, for one, I, I, I think, you know, it is, I think it is a prove it year for Kerry Combs. And I think if, if the defense doesn't get better in 2021, you're going to have to have a new defensive coordinator in 2022 because I think, you know, in his second year, I think, you know, again, we've talked about it before. I think first year, you got it. You got to cut him a little bit of slack on the fact that there was COVID. You know, he probably didn't have a chance to really install the defense as much as he would have wanted to. He didn't have as much time to work with his players as he normally would have. But I think in year two, no more excuses, got to get the defense back on track. And I think that if Ryan day decides to go with, this route of, you know, just maintaining stability and just kind of keeping the guys that he has that, you know, it, it then, you know, if, if that doesn't work, then Ryan day is going to take some heat for that, for why didn't you, you know, bring somebody else in, but, you know, I do think that he trusts Kerry Combs to get the job done. And I think it's going to be a really interesting year to see if Kerry Combs and the rest of his defensive staff, regardless of who fills out that staff can make it happen.
1: Yeah, I think that this is maybe the most important hire that Ryan Day has made since he's you know been a head coach because this is the this is the kind of hire, this is the kind of decision, not even the specific hire. Maybe you hire someone like Parker Fleming, um, who I don't know would be would be maybe a lesser position coach when it comes to, to monetary uh, reasons. Um, and and you you look at the guy in charge and, and carry combs and the decision that you'd make in that scenario is that Kerry Combs is the guy. And I think that that's a huge decision to make. And and that's a decision that I absolutely could see Ryan Day making. But this is the kind of decision that could, you know, make your defense go one way or another when it comes to, when it comes to the 2021 season. Cause I think that when you look at what this defense, what this defense has and that, you know, we can go off a question right here from St. Louis Buckeye 15, uh, who says, how realistic would it be to expect some schematic changes on defense? Do you expect Day and Com- Combs to stick with the single high as the base? I think that this is this is the kind of decision that is make or break for this team. Um, and it's it's the kind of decision that I do wonder if they had a normal offseason, if they would have given some other stuff consideration last year. Um, and I, I don't know, but the one thing I come back to is Ryan Day always talks about, you know, Ohio State wants to, on offense, Know play to its personnel. And if that means you have Dwayne Haskins, that might mean that you're throwing the ball 50 times a game. And if it means that you have a great running back, it might mean that you run the ball more often than not. I think if I just look at the defensive personnel in 2021, I'm looking at a ton of defensive backs and a ton of turnover at linebacker. And I do wonder if that leads to more defensive backs on the field, whether it's two safety, whether it's more nickel packages, whether it's something like that than we saw in 2020. And I do wonder you know, how that will affect what Ryan Day wants to do, because we've heard Ryan Day talk about the single high safety being the offensive scheme that he likes the most and that he wants to have. Um, but I don't know that the personnel will dictate that in 2021. And I think that that could maybe more so than anything, more so than what what he or Kerry Combs want to do. I think that might just be what they should do.
0: Yeah. My thinking is if, if Ohio state promotes Parker Fleming, or if they you know hire somebody else for this spot, that's a young coach who's not going to be a, a coordinator, then that would tell me that we're probably not going to see major changes of the defensive scheme next year. Now that doesn't mean we aren't going to see any changes, but I don't think, you know, I think if that's the route that Ohio state looks to go, that would indicate that you're not going to see a, a total scheme overhaul here, uh, in 2021. But, you know, I do think, you know, in terms of a whole, you know, single high conversation, I mean, I think it's you know, I think it should not be overlooked for the fact that in both college football playoff games, Ohio state mostly used two high safeties in those games. So I, you know, I think that's a change that probably went a little overlooked there. Uh, but I think it's something that, you know, they did make that change. So I, I do think, you know, in, in, in terms of, you know, the, the single high defense in terms of, you know, you know, that I, I think that could definitely change next year. I mean, I think you're right. You know, we could, you could see more nickel, you know, maybe less. Uh, free linebackers just because they are going to be less experienced there. I'm not sure. I I don't expect any wholesale defensive scheme changes. And, you know, I told Kyle Jones that uh, whenever there is a new hire made, that we will have him on Real Pod Wednesdays here. And we can talk to him a little bit more about the real, you know, intricacies of the scheme. But I I don't expect any major changes, but I think certainly – Uh, they they have to have conversations about everything. They have to look at ways they can make this defense better. And they have to look at ways that are going to play to their personnel strengths. Cause I think, you know, especially at linebacker in the secondary, you've got some pretty major personnel questions going into 2021.
1: Yeah. I I do think that the, that the schematic questions are, are reasonable and they should be asked. I think maybe me personally, I do think that the personnel questions are the more pertinent ones that should be asked in the secondary, because you're bringing back, three starters back there, and you could extend it to four if you wanted to include Marcus Hooker with Josh Proctor, Marcus Williamson, and Seven Banks. And if you combine the Lathan Ransom, Ronnie Hickman, Tyreek Johnson, Jekyll and Johnson, Jordan Hancock, Letch Cavazos, I mean, all of those names, there is a ton of talent that Kerry Combs has and Kerry Combs and Matt Barnes have um, on their hands. And it's up to them to develop it. It's up to them to put them in the positions where they can succeed and and they can have that BIA moniker that they certainly didn't live up to last season. So I I, I do look at, you know, I think that a lot of the conversation is going to be around schematics in the offseason. I think personnel is perhaps even more important because they bring back a lot. And there's a lot of familiar names and there's no reason that Kerry Combs, with what his history is as a cornerback and defensive back developer, shouldn't get more out of these guys next fall.
0: Outside of all this, I, I think going back to Ryan Day's press conference on Friday, it was kind of just tucked into an answer here. and I don't think it really got talked about a lot over the past few days, but I thought probably the most eye-opening thing I heard in that entire press conference was Ryan Day acknowledging that Ohio state had only one day of padded practice leading up to the national championship game. And as we know, uh, he didn't specify why, but I think we can assume why was because of the COVID issues that the team was dealing with at the time. And you know, if you remember, there was some, you know, speculation leading up to the game that, you know, maybe even the game would be postponed. Uh, so that did not happen, but we do know that Ohio state was about some you know key players in that game because of COVID and it affected their practice schedule. And, you know, I just thought that was a really you know interesting thing to learn because now if Ohio State had had a full slate of practices leading up to that game, do I think that would have changed the outcome? Do I think Ohio State would have beat Alabama? I'd say no because I think Alabama, you know, I think Alabama's offense was too much better than Alabama's defense. I I, I don't think that you know that would have made a twenty-eight point swing in the game. But you know, I did think it was interesting because. You know, I did feel like when you watched Ohio State play Clemson, I thought this was peak Ohio State for this year. Like, this was as good as Ohio State could have played. And we, the reason we felt confident Ohio State could beat Alabama is because we thought Ohio State could play at that level. And Ohio State didn't play anywhere close to that level. And I think that sheds some light on why, because, you know, I came out of that game feeling like, the Buckeyes seemed unprepared for this game. Like they, they just did not seem like they were clicking on either side of a the ball. They, they looked completely overmatched and they, they didn't look like they really had a good game plan. And I think now I have a better understanding of why, and it's because they weren't even practicing.
1: Yeah. I mean, they had a 10 day layoff between the, uh, the semifinal and the national championship. And it, you know, I do think it sort of goes back to the fact that, they wanted Clemson, they wanted that matchup, and they prepared their butts off for that the entire year, and I think that I underestimated not the necessarily the emotional toll and the emotional energy that would be poured in that game to ensure an Ohio State victory, but the fact that I believe that behind the scenes, Ohio State prepared a lot more for Clemson in the 12 months before that game than for Alabama in the 12 months before that game. I have nothing to say. That's pure speculation, but it's just the way that people talk and the way that people brought up the cleansing game for an eternity, essentially (laughs) that, 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 that makes me believe that. And yeah, I agree with you. I don't think the result would have changed. It's just, you're right. It was interesting to learn and we'll never know what would have happened if they had a full padded practice. Maybe they would have lost by only a couple touchdowns instead of several.
0: And it's interesting. Like that didn't leak out. Like I had not heard even a whisper of that before Friday, that they had only had one practice leading up to the game. So I was surprised to hear that, but it did make sense in retrospect.
1: So they are beginning winter workouts on February 1st, Ryan Day said, which is essentially, you know, they had three weeks off, essentially from the end of the national championship game to when they're actually starting winter workouts, which I will say, Dan, like I understand, but after all of the months that they put into the 2020 season, even that feels short. I'll be quite honest.
0: Yeah, it does. Like it does because, like, I feel like the the season just ended, and now they're starting yeah. back up again. But you know, and I think you know, it, it, the reality is, if you take too much time off, everybody else is going to get back to work. And you know, if Alabama's working, and Clemson's working. You don't you you don't want to get left behind. So I think it's kind of a a tightrope to walk there in terms of you know, giving the guys, you know, a little bit extra time to recover, which they have. But you, you also, you know, if you, if you want to, we don't know when spring practice is going to start yet, but I'm assuming based on what I've seen from some other schools, that it'll probably start more in late March than in early March. Like it usually does. Cause I think they'll want to still have a mostly complete winter workout portion. Like they normally would, and then lead that into a spring practice. But if, you know, if you're going to fit all that in, you know, you got to fit all that in, you know, before the end of a semester, before, you know, the end of April or so. So, you know, I think, you know, they kind of have to start now if they're going to, you know, fit all of that in, you know, this semester and, you know, early enrollees, they just arrived this weekend uh You know, I think they have to quarantine this week and then next week, you know, they'll go through their first workouts as Buckeyes. So, uh, certainly important to, you know, get them going and uh, get them ready for their first spring practice. But, you know, I think the ever, interesting thing he said in regards to that, too, is that, uh, you know, he is looking at the kind of how they're going to model spring practices, and he, and he wants them to be a little different than they would be in a normal year uh, because of what happened, you know, in 2020 and because they're still dealing with COVID and all that. And, you know, the the, the big thing he said is he really wanted more game-like situations. Uh, this spring. And I think a lot of that has to do with the young quarterbacks when you have CJ Stroud, Jack Miller and Kyle McCord, and none of them have ever thrown a pass in a collegiate game. But I think just across the board too, you've got a lot of young players here that just did not get the reps that you would have thought they would get this past fall. So now you've got to try to make up for that in the spring so that you know you have these young guys who haven't played a lot of football you do whatever you can to try to get them ready so that when September rolls around, they are ready to play in actual games.
1: Yeah. Unfortunately, neither us nor anybody else listening to this will actually get to see any of these game like situations, but they do sound fun. Hey, let's, 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 let's keep
0: hope alive that they'll, they'll find a way to, you know, get us in Ohio stadium and, and watch a little bit of spring practice.
1: Dan, you ever heard of a, of a reverse jinx? Cause I'm, I'm trying Fair one enough. right now, but, uh, I was going to say the other interesting thing Ryan Day said, but it's actually the least interesting thing he said. But I feel like we have to bring it up because it revolves around quarterbacks. And that is, he said nothing about the quarterbacks.
0: (laughs) Were you surprised?
1: Not even a little bit. And I feel, I, I don't know, maybe if one of them just takes a massive lead this spring, he'll say that someone played well. Um, and not mention the others, but I think maybe until mid August, maybe until the first, maybe until game week, he won't even reference C.J. Stroud in a conversation without also mentioning Jack Miller and Kyle McCord in the same thing for the other two guys. Or yeah, I mean it. It feels like something that. They're going to they're going to I don't know maybe lock them in a room and just have them compete for eight months without anybody being able to see because he is going to divulge nothing.
0: Yeah, get get used to hearing nothing from Ryan Day or Corey Dennis or any of the coaches about who's winning the quarterback battle because uh, they're gonna you know they, they've they've done this in the past even when it's been pretty obvious who's going to win these quarterback competitions this year when it's not obvious at all uh, there they're just there's just no way they they're going to uh, they're going to divulge more than they have to, to the media. So, you know, and and the reason for that is you're trying to keep the other guys from not transferring. So you, you, you kind of have to do this in an age of, you know, where, you know, soon guys could be able to transfer immediately and play elsewhere. You have to try to keep everybody happy until you're 100% sure who that starter is going to be, because as soon as you name a starter, you're going to open up the possibility that the other two guys in that room are going to say, I want to go look and see if I can go play somewhere else. So y- you kind of have to do it that way. And, you know, I think, you know, it's going to be interesting to see if, you know, one of these guys can, can pull away to a point where maybe they do feel comfortable starting to hint at that. But I, I think it's, I think it's going to take, you know, one of those guys, you know, really pulling away for, for Ohio state uh, to get to a point where they feel comfortable Uh, talking about one guy like he's the starter, but you did write on on Tuesday about how even though they're not going to say anything, and again, I don't think they're going to say anything anytime soon. It does feel like this might be CJ Stroud's job to lose. Like I'm of the opinion, this is a real competition. And I do think that all three of these guys have a legitimate chance to win the job. If they have a great spring and summer, but you do you, you, it does feel like CJ Stroud has a head start here that you know if CJ Stroud does what he's expected to do this spring and summer that he is the front runner to be the starter come September
1: yeah it's a little mix of like speculation and you're just looking at what's happening and saying Yeah, I mean, you add this all up, it just feels like C.J. Stroud, it's his job to lose. And that doesn't mean that, like you said, I don't at all think this is a fake competition. I don't at all think that Kyle McCord or Jack Miller can't win this. I don't think that this is set in stone for C.J. Stroud at all. But, like, when you consider the fact that they recruited C.J. Stroud and were risking losing Jack Miller to ensure that they would get him, and they were still willing to make that gamble – because they thought of C.J. Stroud that highly. When you think of the fact that it sure felt like C.J. Stroud was the backup when he was coming in the game against Michigan State um, in an emergency situation in the second quarter, um, when you just look at the way that his teammates sort of treat him, whether it's uh, even on social media or um, when they talk about him, it's it feels a little bit different. And then when you look at what Jeremy Record and Chris Olave did by coming back, you do wonder, you know, is part of that, because they believe in a guy. And is that guy, CJ Stroud, who it certainly seemed was the backup. And you add that all together. And it's like, I think CJ
0: Stroud might have a bit of a lead right now. I don't think it's over. I think that's a good jumping off point for us to kind of go through the depth chart a little bit here. And you know, we'll just kind of roll through this, uh, and kind of talk about which positions, you know, we feel like there's reason uh, to debate or discuss a little bit here, but, you know, starting off a quarterback position, I mean, You know, it's interesting when I was going through doing this depth chart projection, like the first two positions on it were two of the hardest positions for me to do, you know, those being quarterback and running back. But starting with quarterback, you know, my my pick is right now that CJ Stroud will be the starter. Uh, You know, who exactly will be number two behind him, if that's the case. I'm not sure. But right now I'm going with Kyle McCord because I I mean, Kyle Kyle McCord's a, a five star recruit. I I do think Kyle McCord's going to make a run at this thing. And I think maybe he makes a bigger run at this thing than than Jack Miller. uh, Just, just in my opinion. Um, You know, I think he's a talented guy. Uh, You know, I think, you know, he, he, he's going to be in this mix. I I do think he's going to have ground to make up just because of the fact that these other two have been on campus for a year. And, you know, even though they haven't thrown any passing games, they have thrown passing practices they have had more of an opportunity to learn the offense and get on the same page as the wide receivers. But, you know, when you have a five-star guy coming in like Kyle McCord, I'm certainly not going to count him out at least, you know, jumping one of those guys. And I'm not going to rule out the possibility that he could jump them both.
1: Yeah. I mean, if you're projecting quarterback depth chart, you're basically projecting the starter and good luck about who's two and three. Um, Cause it's not like they're even going to tell you, but I think CJ Stroud's the pick right now because you're either projecting that Jack Miller after seemingly losing the backup competition will win the starting competition in 2021 and I think that that's a hard thing to project and see with with Kyle McCord I mean sure it's not like CJ Stroud is a super experienced guy but to come in especially during the COVID era and, and build that kind of bond that you need to be the leader of the team and, and also at the same time win a quarterback competition I just think that that's a lot to ask which is why CJ Stroud is that that guy at, at number one. And, and I, I don't, it's, to me, it's almost not even worth guessing who the backup at number three would be because it's impossible. It's impossible. And, and honestly, it doesn't really matter. What matters is they get that first pick, right?
0: Yeah. And you don't even know if, you know, the other two are going to stay if, if they're not the starter. So I agree with you. It's just, if I'm making a projection, I have to make a pick, but I agree with you. The most important thing is just figuring out who the starter is and going from there.
1: Yeah, you mentioned, you mentioned running back, and I'll, and I'll start this one up because I decided to set the internet on fire, uh, what, a week or two ago when I projected that Master Teague would be the starting running back. And I think our own Kevin Harris replied to it that uh might want to take a look at that position. And he is not alone. But you agree with me, so at least I have that on my side.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's not a hot take to say that Master Teague is the favorite to be the starting running back because he's been in the rotation. I mean, he started – six games this past year and he's been he's been—he's literally
1: a two-time all big 10 selection
0: right he's been in rotation for the last two years so i think he's undoubtedly a favorite to start at running back now does that mean he should start at running back i think those are two different questions i'm i'm not sure if he should start at running back i also don't know that if he begins the year as for starting running back but he will end the year as for starting running back you know kind of like we saw last year because i think that's a fascinating competition because i think you've got six guys on scholarship who all have a chance of, you know, being a factor in that competition. And those are, you know, Teague being a veteran in the room now is a fourth year guy. You've got two third year guys and Marcus Crowley and steel chambers. You've got Mayan Williams who, you know, impressed in very limited action as a freshman. And then you've got two guys coming in and Travion Henderson and Evan Pryor, who are both uh, top 100 guys. And, you know, it's, to me, the two guys that are really most interesting to me in this equation are Travion Henderson and Mayan Williams. Cause I, I was impressed by what we saw of Mayan Williams last year. I think he's a guy that, you know, I think, you know, the fact that he was playing ahead of Marcus Crowley and steel chambers late in the year would tell me that he's probably moved ahead of those guys. And he probably has a better chance of earning a spot in that rotation than those guys do. But I think Travion Henderson is probably going to immediately be the most talented running back in the room. And I think, you know, him having a JK Dobbins, like a scent of this running back depth chart, to where he's immediately in the rotation and, you know, maybe even starting, you know, very early. I think that's well within the realm of possibility here. And, and and truthfully, you know, if you're Ohio state, if you don't give him that chance to do that, then, you know, that would be an error on Ohio State's part. Because I think when you bring in a five-star guy, that's this talented as Travion Anderson is, you need to give him every opportunity to earn playing time right away. And I think he's more than capable of doing so.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, the Master T conversation is interesting because I feel like at this point, Master Teague is who Master Teague is. I mean, he can prove us wrong, but I don't think that I'm alone in saying what I just said. You know, Master Teague is the kind of guy, he's solid. If you're Ohio State and you have six running backs in a room, I just, it's hard for me to believe that you can accept just being solid based on the history of the position at Ohio State. And at the same time, when... When J.K. Dobbins had that rise as a freshman, you know, if Mike Weber didn't get hurt the first week of the season, Mike Weber would have started the season at running back. It just so happens he didn't. And J.K. Dobbins ran for 180 plus yards, and the rest is history. But I do wonder how much Master Teague's, the fact that he's in his fourth season, actually really matters to this competition. And I think that part of it is, you know, he's just a known commodity. You know what you have, like you're going to be fine with master T get running back. You might not be dynamic, but you should be fine. The part where, the part that you said where it's like Trayvon Henderson, mine Williams are the interesting guys to me. I think that that's a hundred percent correct. I think the interesting thing is, is over the next eight months, like how interesting are those guys? How good are those guys? Are those guys better than solid? Are those guys better than fine? I think that they should be, and like while I'm projecting Master Teague as the starter running back, I'm basically doing so by saying I think Trayvon Henderson's going to split the reps 50-50 with them, but I think Master Teague will run on the field first. Um, if Master Teague is the sole starting running back getting 25 carries a game, I'm not going to lie. Sitting here on January 26th, I would be completely blown away, and unless he did something in the offseason to transform himself, I just think that that would be a complete negative, and I don't see that happening because of that.
0: Wide receiver, it, it, the depth chart here is hard to project because it's just like who do you not put on here because they have so much talent. I mean, we, we know who two of the starters are going to be. Chris Olave is going to start. Garrett Wilson is going to start. There's no question about that. But then you just look at all the talent in this room. You've got Jameson Williams. You've got Jackson Smith and Jigba. You've got Julian Fleming. You've got G. Scott Jr. You've got Cameron Babb. You've got Emeka Buka, You've got... Jaden Ballard, and you've got Marvin Harrison Jr. I mean, those guys I just named. The only one of those guys who is not a top 100 recruit out of high school was Chris Olave, and Chris Olave might be the best receiver in the country next year. So it's an absolutely loaded room. Uh, the heart—it's a phenomenal problem to have. But the hard part is just figuring out you know who all gets in a rotation and who doesn't, because there's just not going to be enough playing time to go around. For everybody, you know, you know, I think certainly you expect that Olave and Wilson are going to be on the field most of the time because they're too good not to be. I'm interested in that third spot, though, because, you know, to me, I thought Jameson Williams was a disappointment this past year. He did not make the jump that I had projected him to make. You know, I think he's a fast guy, but we just haven't really seen uh, that growth into a complete receiver yet. And and so my, my early guess is I think Jackson Smith and Jigba beats him out for that starting job. I think he's in a starting lineup because, you know, we didn't see a lot of Jackson Smith and Jigba this past year, but, you know, he's a guy I was really high on coming into the season. I I thought he flashed and I think, you know, now of him having a full, you know, another full off season and hopefully a normal 2021 season. He's the guy I look at. I mean, there's so many different guys in this room who could be breakout stars in 2021, but he's the guy who tops my list as the guy who I think is going to be a breakout star in that room alongside Olave and Wilson.
1: Yeah, unfortunately we agree. I wish that we disagreed on this, but we do agree on this. The one disagreement we have though is that you have Garrett Wilson at slot receiver and Jets to Smith and Jigbed outside receiver. And I think even today, Like, it certainly hasn't been discussed publicly, at least that I know of. But, I mean, I would be interested in an Ohio State offense that had both Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson on the outside at the peak of their powers as upperclassmen with Jetson Smith and Jigba at at, at slot receiver, which is the position that he played during the year this this past season as a freshman. Um, And I don't know that there's a whole lot of logic behind this, Dan. I could be just totally just spitballing here. But I think the 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 idea of having a pairing of Olave and Wilson on the outside as senior and junior is maybe too much to pass up. And I think that Garrett Wilson was really good this past season. I didn't feel like, at least at the end of the season, that they were maybe maybe that he was maybe as productive as as I thought that he could have been. And I do wonder if, you know, some of the best stuff that he does is going down the field and winning jump balls, stuff like that. I, I do wonder if that makes him, that still makes him more of a fit on the outside than the inside. And, I, and you know, Smith and Jigba certainly showed that, that he can play the slot just fine.
0: Yeah. I mean, I thought Wilson was pretty excellent in the slot. So I, I don't know that I would mess with that. I think, I think both those guys are capable of playing both outside and inside. And you know, I think it could be a
1: plan. I mean, that could and be I, I
0: think I think the, right. the, the biggest thing when you have a group like this, and I think this is Brian Hartline's plan is you just, you gotta get the best guys on the field. I mean, I think, you you know, I think those two guys could be somewhat interchangeable there in terms of who plays outside, who plays inside. If you want them to start, Um, you know, my feeling would be, you know, Garrett Wilson in the slot seemed to work pretty well. So I would keep him there. I understand, you know, where you're coming from on it Bo, But I think the biggest thing with these guys is you've just got to, you know, you've got to figure out who the best guys are and you've got to find a way to get all those guys on the field because, uh, there, there's so much talent, you know, in that room, you know, I think, you know, most of them, you know, most of them are more outside guys than they are slot guys. But I think, you know, the idea is you just gotta, you gotta find a way to get the best guys in that room on the field. And, you know, I, I lean toward Bo's being in the top three, you know, I think Julian Fleming is going to be in the mixed pair on the outside. I think, you know, Jameson Williams, Jameson Williams certainly is still going to be in the mix, just maybe not as much as this past season and then it's you know can a mecca abuka break in can a g scott jr break in can a you know cam babb break in they all have the talent to do so i just don't know because there's only so many reps to go around and i and i still think you'd only want to take chris olave and garrett wilson off the field so much
1: yeah i think if i were looking at it today like you have garrett wilson you have chris olave I think you can assume pretty safely that Jameson Williams, one way or another, whether it's this being a starter or not, will be in some sort of rotation because he did start this past season. Sitting here today, just based on the freshman season that he had, I think Jetson Smith and Jigba will almost certainly be in the rotation as a sophomore. And I think that, that leaves either one or two more spots um, in the rotation. And I think that, you know, Julian Fleming is, is probably the other guy I project there, but there are a million guys. And there's, if you want to convince yourself that literally any of these 10 guys will be breakout candidates, I think you can do that. I, I, I think maybe the most interesting thing to me will just be more so maybe more so than how the snaps are broken down, how the targets are broken down because olive and Wilson accounted for well over 50% of both re- receptions and receiving yards. And I don't, imagine that that'll be the case again next season. I could be wrong, but when you have a room this deep, I imagine that they'll throw the ball around a little bit more, but at the same time, like, shoot, I think Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson might be the best wide receiver duo in the country. So again, these are the first world problems that Ohio State gets to have.
0: The other guy who's got to be factored into this conversation is Jeremy Rucker, because I think with him coming back, I think he's one of the best tight ends in the country. And of course, you know, we're not going to have the discussion about how many pros he's going to get today. We'll save that for another day. But, you know, I think the tight end depth chart, you know, to me, I I think, you know, the biggest difference there is I think, you know, I think Ruckert's probably going to get the vast majority of the snaps next year. Um, There's not really anybody proven behind him. I know one of the questions we did get today was whether Cade Stover will make an impact next year. And he is the guy that I would look at as that most likely number two guy. You know, I think when I look at how much talent they have at receiver, I would lean toward thinking we're probably going to see less two tight end sets next year, because I just think there's way more. I would talent. be shocked if we didn't. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think there's way more talent at receiver than there is behind Jeremy Ruckert at tight end, but Stover's the guy that I'm going to be watching there. I think he's the, he's the guy that I'm intrigued to see. Can he be a breakout player at that position as the number two guy? Yeah, I mean, they'd be in an absolute mess if Jeremy Rucker hadn't come back. I mean, if you just look at the other guys in the room, like it's
1: Cade Stover, who just transitioned the position a year ago. It's Mitch Rossi, who's a walk-on. It's Joe Royer, who's did nothing as a freshman in his second year. And it's Sam Hart, who's, I believe, was a three-star recruit. And like, that would be the entire room. Um, so this is going to be Jeremy Rucker's show, as it should be. Um, yeah, I think mid June is probably the date that we'll spend 20 minutes on whether Jamie record will break the tight end reception record, but we can, we can wait on that. And, and like you said, like this should be the year for Kate Stover. If it's not, listen, Dan, I know you're a big walk-on guy. I could see Mitch Rossi getting, getting some reps. This, this, this seems like the kind of year where if it breaks his way, he, he, he could be a, he could be a name that people outside of just the. Incredibly hardcore Ohio State fans would know about.
0: Yeah, he's he's the only other tight end, Irvin Rucker, coming back who really played at all this past year. So I think he's going to have a role. I don't know. I don't think he's going to get a lot of catches, but I think he's going to have a role in there as, as a blocker in some of those multi tight end sets.
1: All right, let's move to the offensive line where. They bring back two starters, left tackle Thayer Munford and right tackle Nick, Nicholas Petit Frere. Well, I guess three starters. I was just thinking about the, in the same position because Harry Miller, in your projection, would move over to center from left guard. And then at left guard, in your projection, it would be Paris Johnson. Right guard, it would be Matthew Jones. What's your percentage, confidence percentage that these will be the five guys? Maybe, listen, I'll, I'll allow a Paris Johnson, Matthew Jones swap. But these are the five guys who lead Ohio State out there on, what is it, September 2nd, I believe?
0: Yeah, that's a good question because I I think this interior offensive line battle is really fascinating because like I'm not at 100% with any of these free guys in terms of them starting. I I think uh, they're all the front runners. So if I was going with a percentage for like the whole group, I'd probably put it at like 50% that those are going to be free guys because – I do think those are the free front runners. I think, you know, Harry Miller is the guy who I think is most likely going to be the starting center. I think Matthew Jones, if the way he played in the college football playoff, I think he certainly has the inside track to a starting job. And I think Paris Johnson Jr. is so talented. I don't know how you can not have him in the starting lineup somewhere last year. And I think the fact that he played guard in the college football playoff tells you they knew Mumford was coming back and they wanted to get Paris some reps at guard so that he could start at guard next year, knowing there wasn't going to be an open spot at tackle. So I think those are the free front runners, but I I don't think any of those spots are set in stone. I think uh, Dewan Jones is another guy. He can play either tackle or guard, but I think he's going to be in that mix for a guard spot. I think Enoch Vamahi is also going to be uh, in the mix there to potentially earn a guard spot. And I think Luke Whipler could push Harry Miller at center and, you know, I mean, Harry Miller, I mean, I think he's got something to prove this offseason. I don't think he played as well as we expected in his first year as a starter. So I do think he'll start next year, but I also don't think he should just be handed the job because I don't think he played well enough this past season for that. So I'm fascinated to see, you know, if we get to see anything, I'm fascinated to see how they split up the reps at those spots, because I do think all of those spots should be open for competition. With that being said, you know, those are the free guys. Paris Johnson Jr., Harry, Harry Miller, and Matthew Jones, but I would bet on to be the starters uh, come September.
1: I am, I'm maybe closer to like eighty five percent, which wow. might be obscenely high, but I am very confident that it's these five guys. Uh, because one, I mean, you're locked in with Thayer Munford and Nicholas petit Frere. I just think that like the way that Josh Myers talked about Paris Johnson, saying if something doesn't go wrong, he's going to win the Outland. Um, like, that guy's starting. I don't care. That guy's starting. I could not imagine a world where that guy doesn't start, whether it's left guard, right guard, right tackle, something in 2021. Um, Harry Miller, I certainly didn't think that he lived up to anybody's expectations. I still would be pretty surprised if Luke Whippler jumped him um, this upcoming season just because, like, sure, Harry Miller didn't play very well, but he has a year of experience, and Luke Whippler would essentially be – the, the exact same year that Harry Miller was um, when when he had his first start so I I think I'm I'm pretty confident that Harry Miller will be in the starting lineup and I'll be honest like I probably wouldn't have been this high before I saw Matthew Jones late in the season but I couldn't have been more impressed with Matthew Jones um, I I I thought that you know I, he certainly isn't a finished product by any means but I think his explosion off the ball his power it fits perfectly at guard, especially for what Ohio State wants to do. I think he moves pretty well. Um, I, I'm pretty confident that he'll be the guy. My one like the one guy is like is does Dewan Jones just do you do you just get to the point where it's like we can't not have Dewan Jones in the lineup, which I think is conceivable. Like one, like 6'8, 360 he clearly impressed them as a freshman enough that they were wondering whether he'd even be around five years. So they didn't even bother redshirting him. And, you know, now obviously he can be back for a fifth season if he wants to because of the NCAA, but um, he's the one guy, he's the wild card for me. Um, and also I'll say this other wild card and, and you can let me know what you think of it. What if they just decide like Paris Johnson's an awesome offensive tackle. Let's move Nick petit Frere to guard and move Paris Johnson to right tackle.
0: Is that, is that crazy? I'd be very surprised by that because I think, Petit Frere, you had an excellent first year at, at right tackle. And I, I don't think Faire Munford's coming back to play guard. So I, I'd be very surprised by that. I mean, I, I get where you're going with it, but I'd be very surprised by that. In terms of a DeWan Jones conversation, I would just say that if at the very least, if he's not a starter, we just talked about having not as much depth at tight end this year. Got to make the jumbo package happen. We got to make the jumbo package happen with DeJuan as a six offensive lineman slash tight end. Slash fullback. Gotta make it happen.
1: I'll give credit to you. This is the second year you're gonna push this. And you know, maybe one of these days we're gonna like, push it until
0: it happens. All right. You might be pushing it for a while then. <laughs> but I will I will be a proponent right there, right there behind you. Defensive end. I, I think you know, we know that you know there's four guys coming back in the rotation, but I think we'd all expect to be in the rotation again next year, and that's Tyreek Smith, Zach Harrison, Tyler Friday, Javante Jean Baptiste. Who starts, my guess would be Tyreek Smith and Zach Harrison get the most playing time. But I also think that the starters are probably going to change from game to game because that's usually the way that Larry Johnson does it. My big question at defensive end is, can Jack Sawyer break into that rotation as a freshman? Because you know, the pass rush was not great this past year. I think certainly uh, one way or another, o- Ohio State needs some of their defensive ends to step up and make a bigger impact as pass rushers. And I look at a guy like Jack Sawyer coming in as a top five overall recruit of the country. You know, I, I have him on the third string on my depth chart because I don't see him jumping one of those veterans right away. But I, I, I am intrigued to see, you know, how quickly can he come along? Is he a guy that can force himself into that rotation and, and earn a role for himself? Cause I think one way or another, you've got to get more pass rush this next season. And he just might be the guy who can do it.
1: Yeah. The defensive end depth charts actually like shockingly uninteresting because you have those four returning rotational pieces who 100% will be right back in the rotation. The question is how deep Larry Johnson goes. And, you know, he always talks about like, he'd love to go three deep at every position, but I think he showed last year, like if you have to go too deep, he's fine going too deep as well. Um, you're not keeping Jack Sawyer off the field. I would just be – I would be blown away if, if Jack Sawyer wasn't in the rotation one way or another, even if it's just for small amounts and, and minimal um it could be a Rushman package or yes. something. Yeah, I mean, you saw Chase Young didn't get a ton of snaps, but he got
0: some snaps, and I think that that could be a similar role that we see for, for Jack Sawyer. Defensive tackle, we know Haskell Garrett, who we didn't really get to talk about him last week on RVW, but he did come back for another year, so we know he's going to be the starter. At free tech. The big question, of course, is you know who's gonna start next to him at nose because uh, Tommy Togi is not back. My feeling there is it's probably gonna be a rotation of Antoine Jackson and Jerron Cage. My guess would be Antoine Jackson would start. Colin, I'm guessing you might go with Jerron Cage. That's a
1: fair, that's a fair uh, fair guess by you.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I would go with Jackson. I mean I've I thought you know, Cage started against Alabama. Jackson outplayed him in that game and, and played more snaps. I mean, personally, I, I think Jackson has been more impressive. I think you've been more impressed by cage. I think either way, I think it's most likely going to be a scenario where both those guys are splitting snaps. And I don't know if, you know, maybe a Ty Hamilton, you know, maybe a, another guy like a Tyleek Williams coming in, maybe one of those guys. Uh, can break in and, and get a few snaps there as well. You know, I think Teron Vincent's most likely going to remain in that backup free tech role, but he's a guy that could uh, fit in there as well. But you know, I, I I don't see it. You know, I think Haskell Garrett's going to be on the field a lot. I, I don't see it being like this last year where you had two starters who were both on the field most of the time. I think most likely that second spot is going to be more of a rotation with Haskell being the only guy that's a real mainstay of that defensive tackle spot.
1: Yeah, I think that's likely. They're they were def, they're definitely in a much better position now that they have Antoine Jackson back. And it's not because Antoine Jackson is like some world beater, but it's because he's a veteran guy who you can probably expect in his sixth season of college football is going to have a good offseason and get better. Um, and you look at the guys behind him at nose tackle, and like Ty Hamilton – he impressed people and then he didn't really play much as a true freshman. If you're in the spot where he's the guy and and Tyleek Williams is the guy and they're actually getting real legitimate reps like that to me would have been a problem. Um, But to have Antoine Jackson and Jeron Cage at nose tackle, I think that they'll be perfectly fine. They're they're probably not going to have an all American there, but they should be okay. They should be fine, and I don't think that those are. This is an area that you're going to look at and say this is the reason why Ohio State lost games. Um, of course, nine months from now, maybe someone will disprove me. But I don't. I think that they'll be fine at defensive tackle. The question to me is, and this is a, this is the Larry Johnson question: is we've seen some of those Larry Johnson specials, especially at defensive tackle, where guys late in their career get a lot better, and even Haskell Garrett was one of them last year. If you're looking at the veterans here in in Haskell, Teron Benson, Antoine Jackson, Jeron Cage, like, are there any appreciable leaps over the course of the next eight eight months? I think that that could be a real big boost to this defensive line um, because there's a lot of veterans here. There's a lot of solid guys. I don't necessarily know that there's a star up front. And I think that that's probably going to be something I'm going to say for the entire defense, because I don't really know that there's a star on this entire defense, but if there's no star in the entire defense to me, that just makes it even more important
0: that some of these guys make big jumps over the course of this offseason. season. Linebackers interesting because I feel like it's been three years of people clamoring to see more of Taraja Mitchell and Dallas Gant and Kayvon Pope. And now they're going into their fourth year and now it's time for them to be the guy. And we still don't know like how good these guys are. Like if these guys can be, you know, the lead guys at that position because you know, we've seen so much tough Borland, so much Pete Warner, so much Baron Browning and Justin Hilliard here over the last few years that now it's going to be a completely new guard at that position. And, you know, those are my free projected starters. I would say I'm more confident in Mitchell and Gant being starters than I am with Pope. I, I, that Sam linebacker, I have Mitchell at Will and Gant at Mike. I do think they're likely to be the starters at those two spots. That Sam spot, I'm really not sure. Will it be Kayvon Pope? Will it be Craig Young? Could it be a transfer? I mean, there's been some chatter that, you know, Ohio State is looking at a couple linebackers there. So that's a variable that could potentially shape things up a a little bit there as well. But, you know, I I, I feel like, you know, those fourth-year guys are going to be the guys that get the first shot there at linebacker. But, you know, they still got something to prove, and that potentially – you know, leaves the door open, you know, for a guy like a Cody Simon or a, a Tommy Eichenberg to make a push as well.
1: Yeah, I think the two guys who I feel best about are the two guys who I've been most impressed with. And they're also the two veterans, and that's Taraja Mitchell and Dallas Gant. I think one way or another, I would be very surprised if those two guys weren't the starting Will or Mike linebackers, one way or another. I don't know who will line up where, um, but I think that those two will be starters. And I think that, you know, they've waited their time. Um, They've been solid in spot duty. They've just always had guys in front of them. The real question to me, um, well, I think there are two questions. One is, am I wrong? (laughs) Do one of the younger guys uh, come up and take the job from them? And I think Cody Simon's maybe the guy who's most interesting because nobody really talks about Cody Simon. Cody Simon was a blue chip recruit coming in who now has a year of experience. Um, he's, he's an interesting guy. The question to me is what they do at Sam linebacker, because, you know, when we were talking earlier and I mentioned the fact that maybe I could see them going more nickel more often, like this is a, this is the kind of position that I think maybe we don't see a ton of as much. Um, you know, I would probably project Craig young just because of the athleticism that he has. And, and, um, it did feel like at times that that maybe they liked him a little bit more than Kayvon Pope this past year, but I could be totally wrong on that. Obviously, we're just making assertions based off of, off of limited ability to actually see these guys play late in games. Um, but I do wonder if that's the kind of position where we see, you know someone like a, like a court Williams or, or, you know, the kind of guy who they brought in Jalen Johnson to eventually become like, these are the kind of guys where I think it's, if you want to get creative, and I think that they should, that you can throw out, like, why not some slot guy, um, essentially take this position? Why not a second safety essentially be the Sam linebacker? When, if you think back a couple years ago, like Pete Warner was essentially a safety playing Sam linebacker. I don't really know that they have a linebacker who can play the safety spot. So maybe there's a safety who comes down and plays this linebacker spot.
0: I've promised myself not to use the word bullet this off season because <laughs> we used it so much the last two off seasons and then it, it just was nowhere to be seen in the actual season. So I'm not going to do that, but I, I do think the court Williams point is interesting. Cause I did see, you know, a few other Ohio state beat writers also did their depth chart projections last week. And some of them did have court Williams in there as their starting Sam linebacker. I didn't do that because for, for one, we don't know how healthy he's going to be. He, he, he tore his ACL in August and he's a freshman who hasn't played. So uh, to, to project him as a starter right now, uh, that feels like a bit of a stretch to me. Uh, I, I also think, you know, he was at safety last year. So, uh, and get, you know, he'd be learning a new position playing Sam linebacker. Uh, and who knows when he's going to get back on the field. Uh, I'm not going to predict him as a starter, but I do think there absolutely could be a role for him. And I think that could be his role because I, I, I do wonder, I, I, I don't think there's necessarily a Pete Warner or Justin Hilliard in this group, a guy who can play that same role at sam yeah, linebacker would me. and really so i do I think would be. i do think they're going to need to get more creative
1: yeah and, and like even someone like a ronnie hickman like could could ronnie hickman be that guy like that i think he's yeah I, I just looked at the depth chart because i was interested or not the depth chart the official roster he's listed 15 pounds lighter than court williams so you know, he's he, he would have to certainly put on some weight. But I think that these are the kind of things that you can do in this offseason, knowing that you're you're replacing a ton of guys at linebacker. You have a bunch of guys at defensive back. Like, to me, this is how you get them on the field. and This is how you get the most out of your personnel. So this is the spot if they want to get creative. To me, this is maybe the spot to do
0: it. To me, the secondary was the most difficult position of all to make a depth chart projection on because you've mentioned it before that, you know, I think things should be open for competition here in the secondary after what happened last year. Yet, if I'm making a depth chart projection, you know, I still think the most likely starters are seven banks and Cameron Brown with the caveat of we don't know if Cameron Brown's going to be healthy. But if he is healthy after tearing his Achilles last year, I, I would project that he'll be a starting corner opposite seven banks at corner. Again, with the caveat of we'll see if they do something in the transfer portal, since I know there's some rumors out there about that. Uh, but right now, I would project Seven Banks and Cameron Brown as the most likely starters at corner. I would project Marcus Williamson as the most likely starter, whether it's a slot corner or a safety spot, whatever they decide to do with that. I would project Josh Proctor as a likely starter at safety. But you know, I am interested to see, you know, can other guys get in there? I mean, I think, you know, one guy who's really intriguing to me is Leif and ransom because we did see him, you know, play that nickel role uh, down the stretch of last season. And I thought he played well as a true freshman in that role. So, you know, could he be a guy that maybe beats out Marcus Williamson for that job? I definitely don't rule that out. Uh, I think that's a possibility. And then I'm just kind of interested, you know, even if those guys are the starters, like how does the depth chart stack up behind him does you know, d- does Kerry Combs get to a point of, you know, rotating three corners regularly again? You know, I, r- I really honestly don't think Tyreek Johnson is the guy. I, I think if we were going to see something from him, I, I think we would have seen it by now. I-, I just haven't seen anything from him for me to suggest that he's going to live up to that five-star hype. Uh, just got to be honest there, but I'm interested to see, you know, some of these other young guys, you know, I think sometimes people just immediately look to the freshman and they say, well, a Ja'Kalen Johnson, you know, is going to come in and move up to the top of a depth chart. And that's possible. He's got that kind of talent, you know, a Jordan Hancock, it's possible. He's got that kind of talent, but you know, the other guys I'm interested in are guys like Ryan Watts and legend Cavazos who are other second year guys who we didn't see play a lot this past year, but now that they've got a year under their belt, can they maybe make a push for some reps at that cornerback spot? Yeah, I think that the
1: theme between us both is you can't possibly have Court Williams, Lathan Ransom, Ronnie Hickman, Legend Cavazos, Ryan Watts, and have them all sit again. You just can't do it. I can't, I couldn't imagine them doing that. I think that would be dumb. I don't because think the returning veterans
0: sense. aren't good enough to justify that.
1: Yeah, they're just not. I mean, I mean, this isn't this isn't sitting behind Tough Borland, who clearly gained the respect of everybody and got better year by year and like was who he was, and they played to his strengths. Like this is these are guys who haven't really played that well. And there, there should be an opportunity to beat them out. I think that the guys who I feel most confident in are one way or another, seven banks is going to start at cornerback and one way or another, Josh Proctor is going to start at safety. I think that those guys are locks. Um, The other question marks are everybody else around them. And I think that there are a bunch of them. I mean, one, like how healthy is Cam Brown? How well does he come back off of that injury? When does he come back off that injury? Um, I think that's a really important question at cornerback in and of itself. Um, and if he's not very healthy, I think it absolutely opens the door to some other guys. In one way or another, even if he is healthy, like you said, I could 100% see Kerry Combs going back to a three-corner rotation. And that's where, if you want to get it like interesting, maybe Marcus Williamson is that third corner there. You shift, I don't know, Lathan Ransom or Ronnie Hickman to slot cornerback and – um, you mix things around that way. Or I, I don't know. There's a lot of ways you go with that. I mean, you could move Cam Brown back to slot cornerback. He was playing nickel back early in the season and have one of the young, younger guys who makes a rise sort of like Cam Brown did, you know, what was that now two years ago, essentially, um, and make a rise up the depth chart. And maybe it's Ryan Watts or legend Cavazo starting. I don't know. I could absolutely see something like that. But to me, I think you have it right right now as we sit here in January almost going chalk with Cam Brown, Seven Banks at cornerback, Marcus Williamson at slot cornerback, and Josh Proctor at safety. But I almost I almost think your projection is right, and I would make the same projection, but I almost think it's like 100% wrong because they can't do that. They can't do it. I couldn't imagine them doing that because it feels wrong.
0: It feels like they shouldn't do that. I think we could dive into this a lot deeper, and I think we're going to have a lot more opportunities to to talk about it. Uh, this off season, but I do want to get into our listener questions before we run out of time here. First one this week came from Buckeye trapped himself. And he said, as we all know, preseason rankings actually matter. Even if it seems ridiculous that said, based off current projected depth charts and schedule for OSU, where should they be ranked in way too early 2021 rankings? Well, first of all, I actually disagree with the first part of this, of uh, preseason rankings actually matter at least if we're talking about Ohio State I really don't think they matter because I think Ohio State's path to the playoff in a normal season I mean last year was different but in a normal season I think Ohio State's path to the playoff is pretty clear I mean I think it's you know you 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 don't lose more than one game and you don't get embarrassed like you did against Purdue in 2018 and you win the Big Ten and I think if you do that if you're Ohio State you're gonna make the playoffs so I don't think it really matters whether Ohio State is one or five or whatever it is, but, you know, five seems to be where a lot of people have Ohio state. I don't know, but I've really like dove into the other teams enough to really like feel confident where Ohio state should be ranked right now. I would just say this, that if I'm looking at who are the teams, that I'm most confident will be in the college football playoff next year. To me, the top two are clearly Clemson and Ohio state because they're the two teams that I think have the biggest advantage in the power five over the rest of their conference. And then I'm, you know, in, in terms of just who's the best teams, I mean, I'm putting Alabama right there with them because they seem to do it every year. So, you know, I know Georgia's a a popular pick to be one of the top teams next year. You know, to me, they've underachieved a little bit with Kirby smart in terms of their talent. And I'm also not totally sold that JT Daniels is going to make that jump to be an elite quarterback. I think Oklahoma, to me, they're kind of the same as they always are. I think, you know, I think Spencer Radler's really good. I think he's going to be a Heisman contender next year. I think their offense is going to be one of the best in the country, but uh, can their defense stop anybody when it comes to playoff time? You know, it seems like Oklahoma pretty consistently, they've been the best team in the big 12. They usually get to the college ball playoff, but they can't win once they get there. So you know, it's it's kind of like for a lot of these teams, if you're not Alabama, Clemson, and Ohio State, until you actually do it, you've got something to prove in my eyes.
1: Yeah, they're an inter- I think that this is going to be an interesting offseason because of the changes of the guard up top, especially when it comes to quarterbacks. Um, and that's where it's just like it's so hard to project. I think anywhere between one and five seems fine to Ohio State. Um, I think no one is putting Ohio State one. But if you wanted to just stick your neck out there, like I, I, I wouldn't do it. But I think you could make a case. I mean, Ohio State has a ton of talent all across its roster. I can't imagine there's a better one, two, three punch than Jeremy Rucker, Chris Olave, and Garrett Wilson. Um, sure, I think we know all of the issues on, on the defensive side of the ball. But you still bring back a lot of talent up front. Um, there's a lot of returning starters in the defensive backfield. So if you want to make the case, you could make a case for that. I would probably have them around the four or five range. And that's like you said, it's not like I've done a deep dive into every other team, but if you're putting, if you're putting me on the spot, I would probably just say somewhere in the four to five range, which is probably, I think where, where most people have them right now.
0: 11 herbs and spices, which is a great handle asked us who has the most to gain slash lose this off season. He mentioned that Jonathan Cooper, Justin Hilliard were guys who needed to have make or break years. Who are other guys who who could, you know, be that guy this year? And he said Taraja Mitchell and Kayvon Pope are too obvious an answer, so you can't choose them. So, you know, who who is that guy, you know, in your mind, Colin, who's kind of entering a make-or-break year here?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm just running through guys on the offensive side of the ball in my mind right now. And and honestly, there aren't actually a ton of guys on the offensive side. I'll say the one guy, though, like it's Master Teek. Like if Master Teague doesn't win the starting running back job and doesn't look good this season, I can't imagine we come back in 2022 and it's like, all right, Master Teague's locked up the running back job. I just couldn't imagine that. So to me, it's like he's got to hold off some guys here. And and I guess I, I think I would probably call it a
0: make-or-break season for him, even though he's probably the projected starter as we sit here in late January. Yeah, I think the guy who comes to mind to me is Antoine Jackson because I think he's a guy – I remember when he came in three years ago, like he was one of the most popular guy who people would always ask about, about why isn't he playing more? And, you know, he's just highly touted Juco guy. And I think, you know, the last few years he's, you know, he's kind of just kind of become a forgotten player because he's been overshadowed by guys like Tommy Togiai and before that Devon Hamilton and Robert Landers. But, you know, now he's a guy by virtue of that additional year of eligibility, you know, he's a guy that has a chance to have that Devon Hamilton, Jonathan Cooper, Justin Hilliard kind of, Final season where he's going to finally play that bigger role and he could have a breakthrough year. So he's a guy to me that I think is interesting in terms of, you know, could he be that guy who takes a big step forward and becomes the player they need him to be on that defensive line?
1: Yeah, that's a good one. Let me just, uh, I'm going to go one other guy on the defensive side of the ball because I was only thinking offense first. I'm gonna go with Tyreek Smith because I feel like I'm gonna spend the next eight months as like a Tyreek Smith hater because I think a lot of people really love Tyreek Smith and I'll be quite honest, like I'm not hundred percent sold. I think he's a physical freak. Um, he is a <laughs> if if we're ranking like favorite guys on the team to interview, he's definitely top ten, maybe top five. Like he's just a fun guy. Like the guy's four sacks in three years. And people like some people were hinting like I don't even remember who it was late in the year, but like could he leave like be a late first round pick? It's like the guy has one sack this season. Like to me, a lot of the Tyreek Smith hype is based on completely on potential. And sure, I think Zach Harrison is is maybe in the same boat. But to me, this is Tyreek Smith's fourth season. He's he's a, technically a senior, even if he wanted to come back for a fifth season. Now he now he could. Um, to me, this is the season where it's like we've got to see the production that we've been waiting for. We've been waiting so long, and sure, he's dealt with injuries. Um, he's certainly dealt with his fair share of injuries, but he also has four sacks in three years. He played five games this year, eight games a year prior. Like I do think you can, you should expect more from Tyreek Smith, and, and I don't know if it's make or break, because like I said, if he didn't have a great year, he could come back the next year. But to me, it's like I think he's going to start. And I think that this is the year where you should expect eight to 10 sacks from him.
0: OSU bias asked about how likely is it that one of a freshman running backs or both supplant master Teague as RB one. We obviously talked about this a little bit before already. I think we're both on the train of, we expect uh, Travion Henderson to get in there and play whether he supplants master Teague as RP one uh, we'll see. I mean, I, I think that's more likely to happen in November than it is in September uh, but I, I do think that could happen you know if Evan Pryor i'm not going to rule him out in the competition for playing time but it would surprise me you know i i don't i don't expect Evan Pryor to be in the rotation as a freshman again i think a mayan Williams or even a Marcus Crowley is more likely to be a guy who, who pushes his way in there but you know I, I think i think Evan pryor is definitely a guy who has the potential to be uh, an impact player for him in the future but i'd be surprised if it happens this year
1: yeah, like I, I, think it's, I think it's certainly possible that he gets supplanted as, as running back one. But when I think of like supplanted, I'm thinking of a guy who's like the decided first running back who's getting the vast majority of the carries. I don't necessarily think that that will happen this year. I think more so it'll be someone antique, whether that's Mayan Williams, Trayvon Henderson, Evan Pryor, Steel Chambers, Marcus Williams, or what? A, Marcus Crowley. Why would I just say Marcus. Marcus Williamson? That would be, that would be a shock. That would be a
0: shock. K. Sterling asked, what are the chances we see some of the young, highly touted members of a secondary pass some of the veterans in 21? Again, I think we, we talked about this, uh, you know, what I are think the
1: chances. Uh,
0: yeah. I mean, the door should absolutely be open for it. I mean, I, I think we both agree on that, but the door needs to be open for it. You can't, you can't just give, you know, Marcus Williamson a starting job. I mean, even a seven banks and a Josh Proctor, we I, I'd be surprised if they're not starters, but they still shouldn't be given those jobs because none of those guys played well enough in 2020 to go into 2021 as a clear cut starter. So I, I think the door, you know, should be open, you know, what are the chances? Like I said, I mean, right now I'm, I'm going to pick the, you know, veterans to be the starters, but I definitely don't rule it out. You know, I, I think Leif and ransom is the one guy really at the top of my mind But like, I think he's going to, you know, we saw him play a role late last year. I think he's gonna play a role one way or another. And I definitely will not be surprised if that's a starting role. Yeah, I'm
1: I'm probably mostly intrigued by the younger safeties rather than the younger cornerbacks. And when I say that, I'm thinking of Lathan Ransom, Court Williams, and Ronnie Hickman, because I just think that those guys are right on the precipice of playing. And like one way or another, like some of the one or two or three of those guys have to play more.
0: Scarlet and great asked he, he asked about the Chris Olave when he did not declare for the draft, like we posted a story immediately. And he said, well, I think most of us readers understand this is common practice. My question is, how many stories for 11W are pre-written but never get published because the predicted outcome didn't happen or for another reason? Also asked, was there a pre-written article on Olave declaring for the draft? Well, the answer to the second question is yes, we had both of them ready for whenever he made his announcement. We also had a Justin Fields returning to school story, which we did not think was going to happen, but we had it just in case, you know, same goes for Tommy Togi returning and Jeremy Rucker leaving and, and, and all of that. We, we had uh, stories written for, you know, both outcomes for, you know, a lot of, not, not for all of them. I don't, I don't think we had them for like Wyatt Davis. Cause I think we would have been truly shocked if he had come back. Uh, but we did for most of those guys, we had, pre-written stories for both outcomes would they leave or would they stay? And, and we have a lot of those. I mean, if you I mean a lot of them have since been deleted, but like, if you saw like our dashboard, like you'd see stories in there that we pre-write uh, for stuff that, you know, we don't necessarily think is going to happen, but we pre-write it uh, just in case it does. You know, if we hear a rumor about something that's going to happen, like for example, I think one that I still have in there but I haven't deleted right now was one for Corey Dennis going to the Jacksonville Jaguars, which I didn't necessarily think was going to happen. But when Urban Meyer was hired as the coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars, it felt like a smart move to draft up a piece for the potential that his son in law would go join him there. So uh, that's absolutely something that uh, we do. Um, I don't know an exact number in terms of how many, but uh, there there are absolutely stories that are pre-written that never get published. And it's not always, what I would say is it, Just because we pre-write something doesn't necessarily mean we think it's going to happen, but it's that we believe there's enough of a chance for it to happen, that it's worth pre-writing, and it's something that fits the criteria of significant enough news that when it happens, we want to be able to publish immediately.
1: Yeah, there's a good little article written a few months ago from Zach, which is – I'll just read the lead. It's Ohio State just put a massive stamp on its 2021 offensive line haul. Five-star Robinson secondary offensive tackle. Tristan Lee has committed to Ohio State giving the Buckeyes their fourth and final pledge on the offensive line.
0: Uh, yeah, that one didn't get published. And Zach Zach does this more than any of us because yeah. he he does it for basically every potential commitment. And sometimes he does two pieces because sometimes he does – pre-writes both a commitment piece and an impact piece for guys who don't even end up committing to Ohio State. So he does a lot of those. Uh, he could he could definitely tell you about a lot of different ones that he's done that have they are unfortunately never seen the light of day.
1: Yeah, if you want to know what JT Latham's commitment to Ohio State would
0: have meant several months ago, that one's still on the dashboard. Final question of the day from Get In Juice. What happens first? A, Ohio State wins the CFP championship or B, Urban retires from the NFL.
1: I'm gonna that go with A. The, that
0: wasn't the end of his question.
1: He said for Hopkins quote
0: unquote is. health reasons. I'm gonna go with A. I'm gonna go with A, because I think I think Ohio State is positioned to be in the championship race every year. And I think Urban is going to last long enough in the NFL that you know, there's, there's going to be reason that Ohio state should win a national championship by then. I'm not, I'm not necessarily predicting that urban's going to last 10 years in the NFL, but I also think Ohio state's going to win a national championship in the next 10 years. So I think it's a really good question. Uh, but I'm going to go with that.
1: Yeah. I don't think urban's gone from the NFL in two years, but I think him being gone from the NFL in two years is more likely than him being in the NFL in 12 years. Um, so I'm a little bit, torn on this I think that my reasoning really comes down to this I think Urban's in the NFL for four years and I think that Ohio State will win a national championship within the next four years so I'm going to go with a that Ohio State wins the national championship before Urban retires from the NFL um, and it's because I think that they're going to win one in the next four years but if Urban retired after two years I wouldn't be blown away and I would probably lose just because the odds aren't on my favor with
0: that one well, thanks again to everyone who submitted your questions for Real Pod Wednesdays. Uh, thanks for listening in uh, as we went through a depth chart projection, uh, talked about the latest from Ryan Day. Uh, looking ahead to next week, it's going to be uh, February signing day, so there's going to be uh, potentially some more uh, big, big recruiting news on the horizon for Ohio State and maybe a new uh, uh, defensive coach to talk about. So I think we'll have plenty to talk about again. Uh, here next week on RealPod Wednesdays, and we hope you'll join us again then.